Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. The PK Podcast is a weekly conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing opportunities, challenges, and insights into the promotional products business. I'm Bobby Lee Joining us on today's podcast, always as always, Mark Graham. And uh, we are very thrilled to have Paul Bellantone of PPAI here on the podcast today, man. So glad you took the time to do this. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's, it's good to see you guys. Thanks so, for inviting Mark, me. Before we get started, actually, we have a little surprise for you. Okay. Today is Paul's birthday. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we uh, actually have a cake here just for your birthday. We understand you are a very healthy eater, so we tried to destroy that completely. I can see that. It's one. my favorite color of food, which is brown, <laughs> which means there's chocolate in there. Somewhere. Oh, good. I was worried you might be like, I hate chocolate or something No, it's like terrific. That. So, you can't well, go wrong with this. Isn't this nice of you? Thanks, well, gentlemen. You're welcome. We'll get a picture later. We'll get a picture later so that uh, we can post this when we, when we publish I, I, this. I, I know it's one of the drawbacks of not having a video podcast, but uh, I'm glad that uh, we, didn't, we didn't start singing Happy Birthday to you, Paul, because yeah. my, my singing is awful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I would have. Uh, I thought, no, I thought about that, but then I didn't. We'd lose listeners like that. You now, guys. So did good <laughs> <laughs> good good to hear it. mark you want to you want to fire away a few questions with paul well i wanted to start off with a comment uh, we were at uh, paul we were at uh, the promo kitchen launch party yesterday at the house of blues and we had about 364 people that came through the doors what was interesting that the conversations we were having seemed to have a very different tone than they've had in years past and there really seemed to be this real sense of optimism in the air. People were excited about 2012. They were tired of being tired. I think that's something you were saying before. And I don't know, uh, this may be more of a comment just to get things kicked off, but uh, I think that that means that you're coming into uh, a pretty healthy organization. You're new to the organization uh, or new to your current role. And uh, how does it make you feel? Well, I've been with the organization. I've been with PPAI since 1999. It'll be 12 years. And obviously the new role since um, June as president and CEO. I, I am optimistic. I am an optimist. And I sometimes like to reduce things down to numbers. I had folks, um, when I was traveling around the country over the past six months with Chairman Eric Ekstrand, and we would talk to people and they'd say, what do you think is happening in the industry? Do you think the industry's seen its best days? For me, it's a definite no. And, and I look at it a couple of different ways. Mathematically, I look at it and I say, okay, if there are 28 million businesses in the United States, and there's only 18,000 that are considered large businesses with more than 500 employees. Well, that means there are 27,982, 27,982,000 companies out there that, that, that need our services. They're, they're prime for our services. We always hear our, our distributor members talking about the big clients they lost, the 500, the Fortune 500 client they lost. But the reality is there's a lot of businesses out there that are just prime. We're, we're all about small businesses. We're made of it. And so I'm, I'm an optimist in that sense. The, the second part of it is I think that um, our members recognize that this is a new normal and that they're not going to be able to just wait around for the economy to turn, that they need to make something out of it. And I heard, uh, actually heard the quote today, it might be a bad economy, but it doesn't need to be my bad economy. So I see people out there doing some things differently, trying to create value. Paula, it has been obvious by uh, what's going on with some government decisions that the value of what we sell is under threat. I've been saying this often. Um, the value proposition that we have, we, we distributors have to do a better job of communicating that strongly. What 
what's kind of on your plate as far as biggest concerns for 2012? I don't want to turn it negative, but I just yeah. want to know. I know, I know, um, you know, that kind of oversight from PPAI is well appreciated by yeah. the members. I think we do a, a pretty good job of keeping up what's happening on the legislative of legislative landscape and and our public affairs teams. Do, at one point, I know that they were tracking 13 or 1400 bills that were you know coming out of D.C. The, the issue is, is when you get a random executive order, which generally aren't publicized, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons why they're not publicized. So recently, President Obama's um, executive order, where he, he talked about wasteful spending, we didn't have an opportunity to really get too far in front of that because nobody knew that it was coming. It didn't come down the legislative pipe. Uh, the, the good point about this is that we've, we've created such an awareness of people paying attention to that and reporting back we actually heard about that a couple of days before it was going to happen. We actually sent, I, I sent a letter to President Obama, some of his key staffers, and we know that we got the, the, the language in that executive order mitigated. Hmm. You know, it, there, there's no doubt, there's nobody in this industry who's going to argue for more government waste. Right. The point of the letter is, one, we're not swag, and two, we're not wasteful. And, and we have case study after case study of how, how government programs that were using promotional products were completely successful. So, There was a, a lot of news many years ago about uh, the pharmaceutical industry uh, placing restrictions on spend um, with, with uh, regard to promotional products and doctors. Yeah. And my question is, it's interesting that that was done in a time before social media was really prevalent. And you think about the Obama example, you think about the California governor example as well, and you think yeah. about how social media has really um, galvanized the industry, uh, regular distributors and suppliers that are now uh, uh, taking action. And I, I suppose my question there, Paul, is do you see that as being helpful or hurtful for you as an organization when you're trying to shape an agenda? The social media aspect of it, I think it, I think it makes it difficult for us to always anticipate the type of topic that's going to that's going to get press, right. and and it happens so quickly. But it's made us a better organization. It's made us better at what we do, and we've begun to use social media and more and more to rally our troops when we do need to to have them advocate for us. Yeah. So it's it's a double-edged sword. It's another thing for us to monitor. It doesn't replace anything that we're currently doing. It's just an addition onto it. And we've become a little bit more sophisticated and savvy about how we use it. And I, I, think, I, th I think the jury's out. Yeah. You know, how, how much of, um, of well, pharma's a different, I'll go backwards a little bit to um, your initial statement about pharma. Pharma was another trade group, a trade association right. that, had, that made a decision on behalf of its members or with, in conjunction with its members there was very little our lobbying can do because it wasn't a legislative issue. And, and, you know, PPAI as a trade group makes a lot of decisions and we don't go out and check every single other industry that might potentially be affected. I think in, in large extent, we were collateral damage. We were low hanging fruit for that group Absolutely. to latch onto. Yeah. So, um, but, but again, we, we are tracking social media things a little bit more and we know when these things are coming up, whether they're legislative or, or not. 
So. There seems to be more branding guys, right? So there's been a lot of really cool branding going on with PPA. Like somebody even mentioned some of the taglines and copy. I forgot what they said exactly, but there's um, the new certification. Uh, that's kind of exciting. I'm, I'm new to one of the committees yeah. and the TAS, CAS, MAS, and MAS Plus. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I want to prove how green I am about it still, but I was really excited, and uh, we'll, we will link to that uh, when we publish this. But on the MAS Plus, Mark, I don't know if you know this, but on the MAS Plus, um, in order to qualify, you know, you have to you have to do some things to qualify, yeah. but you also have to turn in a project, which I thought was kind of cool because Mark and I do a lot of education classes, and when you do education, you realize there's two kinds of folks. There's folks that want to get sharper, and there's folks that really like to take classes. Yeah. And something like a project. Some gentleman said, I just did an end-user trade show with 100 businesses. Would that count? Are you kidding me? It's yeah. fantastic. Well, I, I think that it's key. I really love that aspect of the program. I think both the, um, the new TAS is, is great because it gets people involved. It's not a certification, it's a certificate. But it, it, it shows that they've made some progress along. And everybody needs those milestones. Everybody needs to be told that they're doing a good job and what they're doing is going to pay off. On the MAS Plus, we've just had so many folks come to us and say, what's next? What can we be doing next? The MAS Plus, rather than it being a test-based certification you're right it's about a project and it's a project that can be shared with the industry i mean we're in a creative industry and and we don't do enough to showcase that i hope that we get some of the most knock them out of the, you know knock them out of the water type things that we can start implementing as an association you know maybe somebody will come up with a program on how to use social media and legislative campaigns. You know, that yeah. would be terrific. Yeah. We, and we don't do these projects necessarily for this reason, but it sure is the icing on the cake, no pun intended with our party here, but yeah. icing on the cake when your peers that's right. say that's pretty yeah. good. And they say, well done. Yeah, and I sat in a class with a lady um, who raised her hand and said, uh, the TAS is a great idea, and I heard this firsthand. She said, I've been coming to Expo for several years now just to try and earn it's the only chance I actually get to take classes. Yes. And you could sense the relief, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, we, we do a lot of work on the certification program through the regional associations. We do it through um, some of the corporate programs that we run. There's really no other place that, like the Expo where you can get everything. I mean, you can knock off a lot of your um, required courses at the Expo, and it's, it's the place to do it. You'll see more and more online, but there's nothing like learning live. Switching gears, Paul, um, I want to get your perspective on the future of Expo, future of trade shows, maybe more broadly speaking. Uh, Bobby and I have had a, a few podcasts where we have discussed the effectiveness of trade shows from our perspective as distributors, and I think that we concluded that we still are very enthusiastic and optimistic about shows, and we get great value from them. And then, of course, we were, uh, we, we've, uh, wait, um, we've received some opinions from some suppliers that have been a little bit um, more uncertain about the value of the show right. because they'll say that there's too many people that walk down the booths, they're not educated, they're not engaging the suppliers with the right questions, it's not particularly strategic, uh, there's catalogs that are wasted all over the place. Uh, how do you respond to these concerns and do you see this evolving and changing over the course of the next three to five years? Boy, that's a mouthful. Um, I hear the same things that you do. I think that trade shows, you know, trade shows are, are as much a product as they are a delivery vehicle. You know, much like whether it's a magazine or what, whether it's social media, it has to be reflective in a good way to, to show the content that's actually happening. I mean, a trade show is really a reflection of what's happening in the industry. 
if you look at the PPII Expo for, it was only a few decades ago that there weren't salespeople on the show floor. It was only company principals. And then it got modified a little bit later and they said, okay, in day two, you can bring your salespeople. And now trade shows are predominantly salespeople. So you really can't separate it from being a reflection of, of, of what's happening around it. But I think the fact that you did your, your reception and you had 356 people tells me that regardless of how people communicate, and, and obviously you're, you're communicating through broadcast, uh, podcasts and your blogs, but 356 people showed up because they wanted to see the person that they've been talking to. I think that that, that to me is, is the trade show needs to be willing to absorb whatever the community that's coming wants it to be. I mean, we have more social media happening on the trade show floor in a place where you have the opportunity to actually talk to somebody, but, but we're engaging in social media. We're sitting here doing a podcast at a trade show. So I, I, am, I, am, very, I am enthusiastic about trade shows because I'm enthusiastic about people getting face-to-face and talking to each other. You know, it's a it's it's a it's a very interesting answer, Paul. Uh, I know that Bobby, when we were speaking about this a couple of weeks ago, the two of us uh, certainly agreed that the product ideas, while important, are less important than education and the networking and seeing people face to face. So, as you say, that's where the trade show evolves to. Um, not to say that the trade show floor is not going to be particular, is going to play second fiddle to networking, but it's interesting. When I walk away from the 2012 Expo, I'm going to remember the face-to-face conversations that I had with you and with all the other people at the parties that right. we've had, all the education that I've learned. Probably not going to remember the white T-shirt that I saw at Supplier ABC. Right. Uh, I, I can find them through Sage after right. the fact. Um, but uh, you, you, can, you certainly can't replace that face-to-face and in-person connection. So. It, it's interesting, especially in our industry. I, my background is in trade shows, and I've, I've managed some other trade show 50 shows, which um, the PPI Expo is. We're in the media room here, and, and, and to my left, and, and I'm trying to explain this here like I'm a radio broadcast, but I have Kim Tadora, who's my PR <laughs> person. And we were actually, she shared with me an article that um, she found, and it was, it was about a, a company that, um, it, was, it was a campaign product. But the product was made overseas. And, and I, I think in the article, they were kind of saying, hey, it's a little bit duplicitous. You're about US jobs, yet you're, you're giving out a product that was made overseas. I looked at that, and I, I, I thought about that a lot. And I said, you know, I'm, I am incredibly comfortable with arguing with that. I wish somebody would ask me that question. Because the value got added once it left the exhibitor's booth. You know what I mean? It could have been purchased at a show like the Expo. The idea could have come from the Expo. The creativity comes from the marriage between the supplier and the distributor and the distributor and the advertiser client. So, yeah, the commodity may have been purchased overseas. The valuable promotional product was actually created with the people who were walking around the trade show floor. And that's, um, that's a distinction that I think is lost sometimes. You know, people will tell me, you know, I, I don't, the expo's a big show. I don't need to see 50 hat companies. Well, okay, but what you, you, you're hoping to get out of those hat companies is 50 different ideas. Right, right. And so I think there's a need. Yeah. Well, I can say that this is uh, year number 10. This is my 10th anniversary of coming to the expo. So, so you've uh, never gone to one in Dallas. You've been only in Never Vegas. Dallas. Actually, da- I have never even been to Dallas. And the first time will be in a month's time when we will 
have another podcast with you to have a yeah. follow-up to our swag discussion. So I'm very excited about That's that. That's right. I'm interested in that conversation, and, too. And Paul, being an Oklahoma City boy, we're going to get Mark down there, and we're going to go ride Mechanical Bull. I heard that. So, I heard that. <laughs> we'll give him a big steak and yeah, ride a bull. I'm conf- <laughs> I am fearful for my life. Yeah. But, uh, Mark, do you have anything else you want to add before we close? Uh, no, we want to respect Paul's time, but I think that these were some wonderful uh, wonderful conversation points and certainly look forward to picking up uh, in a couple weeks. Well, that'd be great. I'm going to dive into some cake. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Thank Paul. Thanks, everybody.